Welcome to Prepare to Care, the ARP podcast with resources and tools to support the millions of family caregivers who provide unpaid care to their loved ones. I'm Marie Pierre, your host for this podcast. Power of attorney and legal guardianships, these are two topics which can be very intimidating and downright confusing. So when you need these documents, how easy is it to obtain them? What's the difference between power of attorney and legal guardianship? To answer those questions, we've invited Crystal Jenkins with the South Texas College of Law to answer questions and give us some tips that will help family caregivers and their loved ones. So if you think you don't need to know about power of attorney or legal guardianship, I'm encouraging you to think again. Coming up on Prepare to Care. Crystal, um, welcome back to the podcast. This is your second time on our podcast, and I'm I'm delighted to have you here today. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for having me back. So, Crystal, you did a superb job last last time to tell us about some of the legal pitfalls that um, caregivers can find. Um, Power of attorneys and and legal guardianships, these are topics that can be very intimidating to families. Mm -hmm. And yet there are situations when people might say, hmm, something's not quite right. You know, mom or dad may not be driving right now, or I don't think they're making the best decision for themselves. So to get started, tell us about what's the difference between a power of attorney and a legal guardianship? Okay, so um, these are definitely difficult topics to talk about, but they have to be addressed. At some point, these decisions have to be made. And in a guardianship, um, we are talking about a judicial declaration that a person proposed ward, same thing, different word, uh, is in fact incapacitated and needs an appointed guardian to take care of either their person or their estate or both because they're incapacitated and they cannot do it. What this requires um, is a formal pleading with the court, an application to appoint a permanent guardian, and usually that's a family member. I like to see a family member, usually a spouse or a a child of an aging parent um, or a mother or a father of a, a disabled child that will be applying for this guardianship. And what's required in that is what's called a physician's certificate of medical evaluation. Bar none, it's absolutely required. There must be medical proof that the person's incapacitated. uh, And and that's done for two reasons. Number one, uh, there has to be proof and um, it's what the courts require. And there's an actual form that you have to do it on. And on this document, it lists the incapacity it, uh, it says whether or not the person is oriented to um, place, time, and situation and things like that. And at the bottom, it declares whether or not there's a partial or total incapacity. And that's filed with the court as well. Um, and upon a hearing, um, you know, given that everything checks out, there is a guardian appointed over the proposed ward. All of the rights are taken away usually from the proposed ward, the person who's incapacitated, uh, those inalienable rights that we enjoy, which is why it's so extreme, like voting, the right to marry, the right to even determine their own residence, to carry a firearm, um, and things like that are taken away. So a legal guardianship, somebody becomes almost like a child again. We don't a little like, bit, right? We don't like to think of it like that. But I mean, in terms of rights. Essentially, yes. Um, in fact, I would say a child may have more rights than that. 
their their freedom is restricted for their own safety, and so it's going to require a higher degree of proof, namely medical evidence. But, okay, if Uncle Bob is wandering down the street in his pajamas routinely at two in the afternoon, and he's signing off half of his pension to some dude who's calling on the phone with a scam, oh, yeah. that might be a situation where you really might want to look into legal guardianship. You're thinking, this person's not making the right decision for themselves. Absolutely, and I would say to the listeners that if there's anyone um, who you know that is in that situation, uh, have a talk with the family uh, about it. If it is your family member, maybe look into seeking an attorney to maybe get a guardianship because it's better that you protect the person and they may be mad at you, but they'll thank you in the long run for protecting them. So the medical evaluation, is that done by your regular doctor or is that done by a psychiatrist or the people who are appointed to do this? Good question. Um, You can pick your own physician. Usually what I see in the incapacitated teenagers, the ones who are aging out, Um, they have been going to a physician since they were little, um, meaning they've had an ongoing incapacity like Down syndrome or um, spectrum autism or something like that. Uh, And so it's easier in that sense, and you can choose your own, given that they are a physician. Now, I have seen PCMEs where they have crossed out physician and put psychologist at the top, And a psychologist is not an MD, but a psychiatrist is. So um, we want to make sure that we're talking about an MD, an actual physician. Um, With our older um, proposed wards, uh, we tend to see later onset incapacity, namely dementia, Alzheimer's, uh, and things like that. And so it may not be a doctor who was originally caring for them, maybe a special doctor who deals with that but yes you can pick your own doctor the court does recommend some sometimes but you're you're not restricted to that um who they choose i think you bring a very interesting point you you have two types of situation people who never grew to the point um and, and the parents are still caring for them where they can take care of themselves in an adult way and you have at the other end people who, because of a medical condition, are no longer able to make the decision for themselves. So we need to think of this too, because if your kid, you've been taking care of your kid, and then suddenly they turn 18, mm-hmm. unless you do something, then they become adults, right? Especially, and yes, absolutely, especially with um, what when I see high high spectrum autism, where. Uh, an individual may not know there's actually an incapacity there. I've run into this issue a few times uh, where you almost have to start asking questions like, um, who's the president again? What day of the week is it? Um, You know, I don't know how to do this math equation. Can you help me out? Or something like that. And when you begin to sift the person, they do eventually say something that may trigger that, hey, is there an incapacity here? But I'm trying to look for a good term. Um, some some are so highly intelligent that you can almost miss that there's an incapacity there. Okay, and so but that's really for a physician to to decide. Yes. No, no for for seniors who might be listening, there's always this fear like, oh, somebody's gonna come in and take all my rights away, right? right? But what you're saying is there is an evaluation. If you know what day of the of the week it is, if you know who the president is, if you can tell the time, mm-hmm. chances are you're not going to be under guardianship, right? 
Sometimes. Sometimes. Uh, sometimes. Again, that's up to the doctor. I have gone, I have been in ad litem, meaning the attorney who represents the proposed wards in certain situations where I believed that um, there was maybe not a guardianship needed, but the person wanted one. Okay. Uh, and so that's, I mean, I can tell the judge uh, this is, I don't recommend this, but my client wants it. Um, and so you're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. So the, you, you bring a, a good point and, and tell me the word ad litem. So the ad litem, A-D space L-I-T-E-M, is the attorney in a guardianship that is appointed by the court to represent the interests of the proposed ward, whether or not the proposed ward can communicate with the ad litem. Okay, and so even though the family says, okay, we want the guardianship of that person, the court is going to appoint an impartial person to represent the, the person who might be in the guardianship. And that's the attorney's job to kind of do what's in the best of interest of this person, right? This attorney, uh, yes, and and, and they, they really good ad litems take their job very seriously and they go out and see the proposed word, they check on the proposed word, and they have a, a report for the hearing. But they're not a neutral party. They definitely do represent the interests of the proposed ward. So period. if a person doesn't have money, like, is this like the, the court will, I mean, who pays for this? So the county treasury has um, some money set up for indigent applicants. So if I'm a mother and I need to get guardianship over my son or my dad, okay, and I'm indigent, I can file what's called a pauper's affidavit. My court fees will be waived. The ad litem will see that pauper's on file, and they'll request they'll request uh, that their fees be paid out of, the, out of the county treasury and not from my applicant. Okay, so let's go back a little bit. We talked about guardianship, and then there's this stuff that that a lot of us have. Okay, and I don't speak like a lawyer, obviously. Okay. This no. stuff that a lot of us have, like I did this during uh, when my husband and I prepared our wills. And we have powers of attorney, which sounded like a good idea at the time. And I did this just yep. because our lawyer told us to. But uh, tell us, you know, w what is that? Now, a power of attorney is a great document. Um, it's part of the estate planning package. When you do your will, your living will, um, your disposition of remains, all the uncomfortable things we don't like to talk about, um, you do your powers of attorney, uh, regular power of attorney and medical power of attorney. And these are what's are typically coined uh, lesser restrictive alternatives to guardianship. Um, in, in guardianship court, they'll ask you, what lesser restrictive alternatives have you considered since you're taking away all this person's rights? And we usually say we talked about the power of attorney, but um, the person, the principal, can't sign one because they lack, in, they lack the capacity to actually sign one. So a power of attorney is a document where you designate an agent or attorney in fact to make decisions for you. Um, and there's two types. There is going to be your durable power of attorney, which once the principal signs it, meaning it's notarized, it becomes valid. And that person can now, that agent, that attorney, in fact, can start making decisions immediately upon signing. The springing power of attorney is signed at that moment and notarized, but it only goes into effect if I lose the capacity to make decisions for myself. Okay. Okay. Um, so it's, it's, really, it's really good. Now, there's a regular power of attorney for just regular um, financial decisions, as I said before, banking. Um, 
returning, uh, doing tax returns or, you know, paying bills and things like that. Um, that's your regular power of attorney. And then you have your medical power of attorney, which is for medical decisions. And those can be useful as well. So if I understand, well, if I have, say, a durable power of attorney, I'm getting older, I have a durable power of attorney, and say my daughter, you know, is the person who can make those decisions oh, yeah. for me. I'm suddenly 85, I'm okay enough to vote, mm -hmm. and I have my wits about me to do that, but I no longer want to mess with my tax return. Okay. And I say, so because there's this durable power of attorney, I could say, I'm gonna let my daughter do that. Right. That would be the kind of document that I could set up. Yes, you could. And the wonderful thing about um, a power of attorney is it can be actually a limited durable power of attorney. Huh. Uh, on the document, there are enumerated rights that you give the agent, the attorney in fact, um, and some people just want them to have all the rights. Do everything for me, okay? And then some people say, I only want you to be able to um, speak for me regarding this um, probate case I have okay like I want to probate my dad's will and I want you just just to do that and nothing else and once that's over so is the power of attorney so so you can set that up as pick and choose you can set that up when you're still doing very well and you yes. can just plan for what you think the future will hold for you and pick your trusted part because then you pick your own person Absolutely, you're picking your own person, and as long as the as long as the principal, meaning the person making the document, can understand that they're doing a power a power of attorney, and that they're appointing this person to make these decisions, and when that will go into effect, uh, they have the capacity to sign it. So I have a, a very practical question for you oh, here. Sure. Um, is, is this the kind of thing that okay you should go see a lawyer with, or is it like? power of attorney in a box in some software, you don't recommend that, right? I never recommend that. Okay. For anything, I always say to go to an attorney for um, these documents, uh, just simply because the legislature changes, you know, they meet their legislative sessions and there's new requirements and things like that. And if you're doing it, the do-it-yourself, um, I guess, statutory durable power of attorney in a box, as you said, there's chance for error. Um, there in not only in drafting but in the execution of it um, so, so don't do it yourself at least have an attorney review it once review. you've done it so you could because sometimes like your employee assistance program say oh we have this software here and it's nice you just plug in some stuff yeah. if you want to go that route I know you're making a noise like have an attorney yeah. look at it right I definitely recommend that so if you're not if you're not completely poor, you, but you, you're not making that much money, you know, what's your recommendation? Are there clinics that you can go to? Are there resources in Houston that people can turn to? What a wonderful question. Thank you. In fact, there is a, at least one clinic I know of, and I hear they're doing quite well. Um, South Texas College of Law, we do um, have the Randall Osterell's Legal Clinic. We're housed on the 10th floor at 1303 San Jacinto. And I, uh, I currently oversee the probate clinic, which is doing it's it's going awesome and our guardianship clinic we're getting ready for that in the in the spring um, we have an immigration clinic family law basic family law advanced low-income taxpayer clinic human trafficking and asylum clinic Whoa, okay um, I mean we really and a special needs clinic uh, that just got got up and going so um, yes there are services out there um, so and, and we we don't charge our clients 
um, money. We're funded by another source, um, but as long as they meet our income requirements, we represent them for free. And so we do have the estate planning clinic also that will complete your powers of attorney. So these are clinics where you have law students who kind of do the groundwork, but they're overseen by by actual attorneys who make sure all the T's are crossed and the I's dotted, right? <laughs> yes, the best we can. Okay. We oversee the students. Um, carry out wonderful work for the clients. I have two students with me right now in my probate clinic and they, they've done amazing work. Um, and you know, the clinics, you're in, you're in good hands. Um, a lot of times with free representation, you do get the kind of, okay, here's your advice, now go do it yourself. We are a full, um, fully functioning clinic and we'll carry the case from beginning to end. I hope that makes sense. You, the, okay. It does. So th there's a website for that, uh, which I have here, www.stcl.edu, that's South Texas College of Law, stcl.edu, forward slash academics, forward slash legal clinics. If you don't want to remember that, just Google South Texas College of Law legal clinics. That's right. And you're going to get to the right place, right? Absolutely. So um, you said it's uh, your clients are happy. Can you... Is, is there like one client that you remember, one story about legal guardianship, no names? Uh, yeah, I guess I'll change the facts just a little bit. Um, I had a client who um, who was getting guardianship over her grandfather, and the, the I mean, the court was really baffled by the case. Um, we, we brought her in. Uh, she's a, um, um, a struggling law student, and, you know, didn't have the income and we were able to help her get guardianship over her uh, aging grandfather who has dementia and had been taken advantage of uh, by a group of people who um, promised him some big payout and um, and he shelled out um, several hundred thousands of dollars of ah. his own money due to his incapacity and so we were able to help him. Um, nobody else would step forward except this wonderful young lady. And it was really a tearjerker. And uh, the court was not too happy about the group of people that took advantage of this, this that, wonderful man. So that's very nice. Sometimes yeah. the guardianship is the right thing oh, to yes, do. Absolutely. So, um, Crystal, this is about all the time that we have today. So thank you for coming. If you have like one piece of advice for our listeners, what would it be? Do not do an online do-it-yourself power of attorney and uh, seek an attorney yourself. Okay. I think you had said that last time, too. Do not do that online thing. Do not. Seek an attorney. Or if you do the online thing, have an attorney look at it. Please do. Do not do this yourself. So, Crystal, thank you so much for coming. Um, um, if you thought this podcast was helpful, if you have friends uh, who could benefit from learning about power of attorneys or legal guardianships, Tell them about this podcast and by all means visit the South Texas College of Law Clinic. The address is www.stcl.edu slash academics slash legal clinics or Google South Texas College of Law Legal Clinics. You will find them. Also, tell all your friends about this podcast. You can find the Prepare to Care podcast at iTunes on SoundCloud or on the ARP website at www.arp.org slash HoustonPTC. Again, thank you for listening, and as always, thanks for caring.